The year is 1960, and as the British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan said in a landmark speech that year, the winds of change are blowing everywhere. Growing numbers of colonies in Africa, Asia, and the Caribbean that had been controlled for decades by European countries are beginning to declare their independence. In the U.S., four Black college students begin a sit-in at a segregated Woolworths lunch counter in Greensboro, North Carolina, picking off similar nonviolent demands for civil rights and equal treatment across the South. And Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy overcome challengers to represent their parties in that fall's presidential election. And in that year of 1960, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama went to Fiorello, a musical with a book by Jerome Wideman and George Abbott, and a score by Jerry Bach and Sheldon Harnick. Their show chronicled the early career of Fiorello LaGuardia, a half-Italian, half-Jewish crusader for the poor who challenged New York City's corrupt political machine, Tammany Hall, around the turn of the last century, and eventually became the most popular mayor in the city's history. My name is Jan Simpson. Welcome to All the Drama, a podcast about the plays and musicals that have won American theater's highest accolade, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Fiorello was the third musical to win the Pulitzer, following Of Thee I Sing in 1932 and South Pacific in 1950. But it was a more controversial choice than either of those had been. The two-man jury who had the job of recommending the play or musical that should win the prize so preferred Lillian Hellman's Toys in the Attic that each of the judges wrote a long letter detailing why he thought Hellman's play was the best work of the season and pointing out the faults in other possible contenders. They said that Saul Levitt's The Andersonville Trial was interesting but repetitive, that the writing in Patty Chayefsky's The Tenth Man was synthetic, and that it was the acting and not the writing that was moving and effective in William Gibson's The Miracle Work. But the Pulitzer Board, which has the final say over all the awards given out, thought Helmut's play didn't measure up to her earlier works, such as The Children's Hour or The Little Foxes. And the board wasn't crazy about the plays that the jury had rejected either. They considered not giving an award at all until one board member mentioned Fiorello. And the group, which was composed almost entirely of newspaper editors and publishers who had lived through the LaGuardia years, decided to go with the musical about him. But they weren't the only ones to celebrate Fiorello. It won the New York Drama Critics Award for Best Musical that year, and it also shared the Tony for Best Musical with The Sound of Music, the only time there was ever a tie in that category. And perhaps just as significantly, both those shows beat out Gypsy. Fiorello went on to run for 795 performances. Its cast album stayed on the Billboard charts for 89 weeks, and the jazz pianist Oscar Peterson 
devoted an entire album to his interpretation of the score. This was heady stuff for the still young team of Bach and Harnett, and they would go on to even greater successes with the cult favorite She Loves Me in 1963 and the all-time classic Fiddler on the Roof in 1964. Both men were still in their 30s when they hit it big with Fiorello. Jerry Bach had been born in New Haven on November 23, 1928, and raised in Queens. He studied piano as a kid and wrote his first musical while he was a student at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. It was good enough to tour the state and have a small run in Chicago. After he graduated, Bach wrote music for the variety shows that were then popular on TV, and he spent three summers at Camp Tamament, the now legendary resort in the Poconos that put on weekly shows that were training ground for such future Broadway legends as Jerome Robbins, Carol Burnett, Neil Simon, and Bach's future partner, Sheldon Harnett. Bach made his Broadway debut in 1955 when he and another lyricist named Lawrence Holof Center contributed songs to some shows, including Mr. Wonderful with Sammy Davis Jr. Around that time, a mutual friend, the book writer Joseph Stein, introduced Bach to Harnett because Stein thought they might work well together. He was right. Bach and Harnett cooked instantly. Harnett would later say, it was love at first right. Harnick had been born on April 30, 1924, in Chicago. He played the violin as a boy, and after a stint in the Army, he attended Northwestern University, where he majored in music and worked on the university's famous Wamu show, the student-produced musical review whose name blends the acronyms of its original sponsors the school's Women's Athletic Association, and the Men's Union. Over the years, WAMU participants have included such later stars as Warren Beatty, Clarice Leachman, and Tony Randall. Harnack's work on the shows during his years at Northwestern convinced him that he wanted to do it professionally, too. And after he graduated in 1949, he moved to New York, where he did all kinds of musical odd jobs, including writing a song recorded by the folk group the Kingston Trio. And then Joe Stein introduced him to Jerry Bach. Stein had brought them together because he was looking for a team to develop an idea he had about a musical on, of all things, boxing. The show they all ended up writing was called The Body Beautiful. It ran for just 60 performances. But the score, particularly Bach's music, caught the ears of the producers Hal Prince and Bobby Griffith. They thought he might be just the guy to provide the music for a show they were developing about Fiorello LaGuardia. They weren't as convinced that Harnick, who despite his music degree, had decided to focus on lyric writing and had a gift for witty songs, was right for the job and they considered bringing in Yip Harburg or the young Stephen Sondheim. But Bach and Harnick wanted to keep working together, and so they offered to write four songs on spec. 
The producers liked what they heard, and they signed Harnick up to. The idea for a show about LaGuardia had originated with the director Arthur Penn, and Prince and Griffith had brought in the writer Jerome Weidman to work on the book. But disagreements over the tone of the show quickly developed, and even though it had been his idea, they replaced Penn with the director George Abbott. Abbott, who had been working on Broadway for almost 50 years by then, was a master showman. He's responsible for what is perhaps the most famous number in Fiorello. He told Bach and Harnick that he needed a second-act showstopper. The result was Little Tin Box, the comic song in which the crooked politicians come up with one ludicrous excuse after another to explain how they saved up for the luxuries that they clearly couldn't afford on their official salaries. The producers had approached the actor Eli Wallach to play LaGuardia, but it turned out that Wallach couldn't sing well enough. They considered Mickey Rooney, and I'm not sure what happened with that, but they eventually settled on Tom Bosley, a relative unknown who bore a strong resemblance to the short and roly-poly LaGuardia. It turned out to be a great decision. Bosley brought a charming dynamism to the role, and it made him a star. He won a Tony for it. Although, even though he was the title character, his award was for Best Supporting Actor. That meant he beat out his castmate, the veteran actor Howard De Silva, who gave an equally terrific performance in the actual supporting role of the chief party boss. Bosley went on to a career in TV, most notably as the father in the sitcom Happy Days. Bach and Harnick went on to write Tenderloin, She Loves Me, The Apple Tree, The Rothschilds, and, of course, Fiddler on the Roof, which ran for 3,242 performances, has had six major New York revivals, the most recent in Yiddish, and is still regularly done every year in countless high schools across the country. But Bach and Harnick separated after doing The Rothschilds in 1970 and never wrote another show together. Neither man ever had another hit show again. Bach died on November 3, 2010, and Harnick died on June 23rd of this year at the age of 99. Their Pulitzer winner has never had a Broadway revival. That may be because, as the years have gone by, theatergoers have become less familiar with LaGuardia. At one point, Bach and Harnick actually tinkered with the script to make the story clearer to people who hadn't lived through the LaGuardia era. And some later productions have posted detailed background information in their lobbies and playbills explaining who LaGuardia was and how the political machine of Tammany Hall operated. Even so, the show has had an afterlife. There have been relatively high-profile productions at the Paper Mill Playhouse in 1979, the Goodspeed Opera House in 1985, and the Berkshire Theatre Group in 2016. 
Bosley even returned to the role in a not-as-well-received production at the Westbury Music Fair in 1985. But without a doubt, Fiorello's most significant revival was the production that kicked off the Encore series in 1994. It was directed by Walter Bobby and starred Jerry Zachs as LaGuardia, Philip Bosco as party boss Ben Marino, Faith Prince as LaGuardia's long-suffering secretary and, spoiler alert, eventual wife, Marie, and Encores brought the show back again in 2014 to mark the 20th anniversary of its concert versions of forgotten or underappreciated musicals. This time, it starred Danny Rotigliano as the mayor, Shuler Hensley as Ben Marino, Kate Baldwin as LaGuardia's first wife, Thea, and Erin Dilley as Marie, who became his second wife. I'm particularly excited about this episode's guest, who has graciously agreed to take time out of his very busy schedule to talk with me about Fiorello because it's Rob Fisher, the founding music director of the Encore series, who helped to select Fiorello for that inaugural spot, and who was also a close friend of Sheldon Harnick's. Hello, Rob Fisher. Welcome to All the Drama. Thank you, Jan. I'm always in the middle of drama. (laughs) I am so delighted and honored that you would agree to talk with me about Fiorello because it was the very first Encores production. And so I'm hoping you'll talk a little bit about how you guys decided to go with it as your first show. Was it just a no-brainer because of Mayor LaGuardia's relationship to City Center, or did you consider other shows? We we started a list before the first season of likely candidates and likely shows, but we had just the year before had a giant 50th anniversary celebration of City Center because it had been 50 years since Mayor LaGuardia had designated as as a people's theater and as a a public institution. So it was already in the air at City Center, how important LaGuardia had been in the founding of it. So it was a little bit of a brainer, but not not a (laughs) total no-brainer. But it just, it was such a good, obvious choice. And what we were intending to do, and, you know, it's more or less stayed on track through the decades, um, is to have another look at shows with really great scores, but books that may or may may not be able to be produced now, either because they're about a time there's not enough interest in, or, you know, the big thing is sexism, racism, and misogyny, and I mean, they're just ripe with that stuff. But because we could set it up and say, yes, these things existed in these shows, but let's have a look at them. And I always felt we had an audience that was willing to go there. And yes, this is offensive. Yes, this was a bad idea. But we wanted to present things, we used to say, warts and all. And Fiorello would be a very hard show to to revive in a big way. But it was like 
a perfect first choice for us in in many many different ways. How familiar had you been with it before you guys started, you know, thinking about encores? Was this a show that you knew like what was your relationship? It, it was with it? not I think I knew some of the I knew Little Ten Box. I knew of the, a few of the songs from the show. So I knew the existence of the show, but I didn't really know it as a show until we started. Um, we, and we started like a year, year and a half before, like what are our first three shows going to be and digging into them deeply. So I had been digging into it for a while before we did it. But it was not a show that had registered on my little radar in a pr- big particular way, although some of the music did. And I was certainly aware of Sheldon Harnick and Jerry Bach and their scores to shows. One of the things that's interesting to me about this show in terms of its music is that, at least for me, not a musician, the most memorable songs are not the ballads, but the big sort of ensemble comic numbers, the bum one, politics and poker, little tin box, they really seem to me to show off Sheldon Harnick's wit. I couldn't agree more. And those are the crowd pleasers when you do the show. People sit up in anticipation because the lyrics are genius, but it's his collaboration with Jerry. They're set perfectly so that they, they can deliver the punches. And Sheldon was brilliant at at leveling out like, this is going to be a killer one. Here's a little giggle, and then here's the big one. They're worth study. They're so beautifully constructed. Now, here's the question that I ask every time on one of these episodes, which is, why do you think the Pulitzer Board chose this particular show to honor? And I'm especially interested in this one, because as I'm sure you know, the board rejected the jury's recommendation and went with Fiorello all on its own. I don't know if I'm capable of prying into their minds and understanding it. I wonder because there's a lot in it about news and newspapers and politics, which is unusual for a musical to deal in such things and corruption and political corruption. And, and maybe, maybe the subject matter, but you know, the book was, it's Jerome Weidman and George Abbott, which means it was developed as they created the show, since George Abbott was a director. And it wasn't like, here's this work of genius we're going to put on the stage. They, they built this all together. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of a, a mystery, but they weren't the only ones because it's Split the Tony with Sound of Music, and they both beat out Gypsy. It got the Drama Desk Award. It played for two years. And yet the show hasn't, I don't think, been revived on Broadway. And I, I don't see it when when people list the greatest musicals, particularly from the Golden Age 
musicals, it doesn't seem to make the list. You make such good points, and you've really stirred up my brain, because it was so successful at the time, and we're not in that time. So, you know, we're already at a disadvantage to figure it out. But George Abbott knew how to give an audience what they wanted. He was a genius at that. And I think you feel smart when you watch the show. And I think I really like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a smart, intelligent musical. I'm thinking back to the Pulitzer folks again, because I think that that may have been what attracted them to the I Sing back in the 30s, because, again, it was politics, news, politicians, corruption. But I'd be delighted to see this on people's favorites. It may be because the love story is not the important story. I'm just thinking now, people, when they go to a musical, most people want some kind of love story happening. But, you know, here I am, the music supervisor of Chicago, there's no love story going no. on there. That's, that's now been running 20 I think that one could get a Pulitzer because <laughs> it's that same stuff. It's politics, corruption, news, how how all these things are intertwined, which makes great theater, I think. I wondered if it's because unlike Chicago, which is sort of general, this is tied to this historical figure that we don't really know today. I think you're right about that because Kander and Ebb and Fosse figured ways to make it, even though it was about specific people from the 20s, they opened it up to make it a universal quest for celebrity and then using celebrity to get away with bad things. And that's never going to go out of style. Right. <laughs> some of the some of the references in Fiorello aren't going to mean a lot to folks now when, when they're talking about the who who the corrupt people were at the time. You really need to know your history in a way that other shows don't demand. And maybe in the fifties the history was still fresh enough for people. Yeah. It's sort of interesting that Tom Bosley, who was in the original production, he won a Tony, but he won it for Best Featured Actor, and he was the title character. (laughs) Well, now we have to go into the minds of the Tony people, because I don't think that would happen now. And it may have been a thing because... Howard De Silva was a way bigger star, and it may have been just how they were dealing with, and some of that still happens, that um, the new kid on the block maybe doesn't get the, uh, that. Uh, that's that's my guess, but it's, yeah, <laughs> there's, it's not supposed to be fair. <laughs> Is it difficult because... I know you weren't the musical director when they did the 20th anniversary encore encores of, of Fiorello, but is it difficult to find someone to play that role? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> Why? It requires 
Well, there enough references are made that this needs to be a, not a tall person. There, he's you know referred to enough times, and he and also needs to be a real showman, a, a little you know a little brash showman. They don't grow on every tree. There are always a few people around who could do it, but the further we get from vaudeville performance style, I think the harder it's going to be to find people. There, there will always be. I'm just always pleased when I see people come along who somehow they either studied the old movies or, but they understand that delivery and that broadness. But yeah, it was, it was, it was hard for us when we twisted Jerry's axe and he'd sort of finished performing at that time. And, um, we twisted his arm hard. (laughs) He agreed to do it, but it is, it's a, it's a lot to handle on stage and it's, it's hard to stand out in that part, even though it's the title character. Now, I know you were good friends, personal friends with Sheldon Harnick, who we lost just a couple of months ago. And I wondered if you and he ever discussed this show and, and how he felt about it. I, I know it was their first big success, but bigger successes were down the line. How did he feel about it? And particularly because he wasn't the first choice to be the lyricist for this show. I think he was super proud of it. And I think he loved the show always and thought it was one of their best shows. He and I, we did have a wonderfully close relationship and we put together many, many programs for the 92nd Street Y and Carnegie Recital Hall back in the 80s, 90s. And we did a program at the Y of favorite songs he'd ever written. And I think Little Tin Box was on that program. But I only ever heard him uh, speak of the show with love. He never talked about having been the second choice. He was just like, he felt like they'd all done a good job on that show. And indeed, they... They, they did. The score, as you started this conversation off saying, the score is a delight. It is a delight. And this is a little too much me, but I did the first 12 years of Encores, and the first show was Fiorello. And the last show happened to be their apple tree, Jerry Bach and Sheldon Harnick, apple tree. And for my going away from the two of them, they gave me the first page of the orchestra score of the overture to Fiorello framed with the last page of the exit music score from the apple tree. Wow. So I really think of those guys as framing my 12 years. And plus we did Tenderloin in the middle there somewhere also. And Sheldon and I talked a lot about the songs from She Loves Me, he loved diagnosing other people's lyrics. He, and Sondheim was similar. Nothing was accidental. They worked hard piecing those lyrics together to create perf- as close to perfection as they could. And he was, he was, Sheldon was one of, one of my, one of the geniuses I've been privileged to know because it was a nonstop brain on 
so many levels of literature and poetry and lyric making. Oh, well, thank you so much for, for sharing this little bit of him with us and, and, and celebrating his Pulitzer Prize winning musical, Fiorello. Thank you so, so much, Rob. It's been such a pleasure and so much fun. Thank you. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll come back next time. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, please send them to me at jan at broadwayradio.com.